Today's scripture is from the gospel according to Matthew 25, 31, or 31 verses to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the people will be gathered before him. He will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invite me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you look after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, and to the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Um, thank you to Paul and the team um, in the choir, uh, Justin and Rebecca, for leading us in worship so far. Um, it's really good to be with you on this Christ the King Sunday. Um, I want to say thank you to Pastor Justin um, for the invitation to be with you this morning uh, and to be with you for the rest of Advent. I know most of you know the person you have in Justin, um, but it's been a joy to get to know you over the last couple of months, um, and it's really good to be here this morning. Christ the King Sunday is a Sunday that marks the end of our church calendar. So the first week of Advent is our Christian New Year. But Christ the King Sunday is the end of our church calendar. It's a Sunday that looks toward the end of time, toward Christ's second coming. And therefore, it's a Sunday when 
the traditional readings like Matthew 25 are filled with themes of judgment, separating the righteous from the unrighteous, of darkness, of a great reckoning and a great renewal. It is for us Christians a reminder that the end of the world is coming. So let us begin with this prayer. God of the end and the beginning, give us eyes to see abundance in the face of scarcity. Give us ears to hear music when the melody ends. Give us hands to reach out into empty space where the Spirit hovers, where the Son forgives, where the Father provides. Amen. It's one thing to be preaching in a place for the first time. It's another thing altogether to be preaching in a place for the first time with the end of the world as the subject for the sermon. (laughs) But I wonder for you, where you are today, your place in the world, does it feel like the end of the world? It doesn't really feel like that to me. As Justin mentioned, my family and I have recently moved to Vancouver just a few months ago. And so this is a season for us of new beginning. It hasn't all been new and exciting. There has been some new and annoying. There's been some new and scary. There's been some new and why did we move to this place? at all. But there has been some new and exciting. And for example, having the opportunity to be here this morning is new and exciting and a little scary. But it doesn't feel like the end of the world. And so I'm caught between the beginning and the end. Caught between my own experience And the theme of this text in Matthew, caught between the now and the unknown, caught between, as we all are, the first advent, the baby king, and the second advent, Christ the king of kings. So in that place of being caught between, I'd like to explore this text from Matthew 25 with you, with the title of, I know who the judge is. I know who the judge is. But I have to start with what I don't know. And that starts with the first few words of this passage. I don't know when. When the Son of Man comes in his glory... I don't know when Jesus is coming again. There's a long tradition of anxiously wondering when. It's exactly the question the disciples ask Jesus one chapter before our passage. In Matthew 24, Jesus tells them the temple will be destroyed at the end. 
And they immediately ask, when will this happen? So there's a long tradition in the church of trying to predict Jesus' second coming and what it will be like when he comes. And in some ways, I get it. When wars and rumors of wars light up the horizon and light up our news feeds, it does start to feel like the end is near. When Messiah-like politicians and CEOs offer an answer to every problem, it feels like the end is near. When famines, earthquakes, wildfires, climate disasters of all kinds are a topic of almost daily conversation, it feels like the end is near. When it doesn't feel like you can make next month's rent, it feels like the end is near. When you're being bullied every day at school, when your kid is being bullied at school, it feels like the end is near. When it feels like evil triumphs and good gets you nowhere in this world, the end must be near. But I don't know when. And I don't know where. This scene in Matthew 25, where is it happening? Is it in heaven or on earth? Where is this throne the Son of Man is sitting on? I don't know. I don't know who is being judged. Who does all the nations refer to? Is it Israel plus all the nations, or is it just all the nations except Israel? New Testament scholars and commentators argue over what the nations refers to here because sometimes it does refer to Israel and all other nations. Sometimes it doesn't refer to Israel, but we don't know. Regardless of who is in view here, I also don't know who's a sheep and who's a goat. I don't even know if I'm a sheep or a goat in this passage. Because the closer we read this passage, the more times we read it over the course of our lives, the more complicated it gets. Time and experience, dare I say, wisdom, complicates this text. Because it seems like we do know how to tell the difference between a sheep and a goat. The sheep show mercy and compassion to the least of these, and the goats do not. Very straightforward. If you only ever get one opportunity to show mercy or compassion... But if you've lived for more than a few minutes in this world, you've been confronted with opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to meet someone's need. 
And to be perfectly frank, it's impossible to meet every single need we see. Unfortunately, impossibility doesn't excuse us from submitting to Jesus' words in Matthew 25. At the beginning of the COVID pandemic, my family and I had a university student who was living with us in a, a, spare, a spare room. She worked in the service industry, an industry that was decimated in 2020. And she didn't know how she would afford rent. So we told her she could stay with us as long as she needed, rent-free, as long as she wasn't able to earn any income. Surely that makes me a sheep. But then, every time I walk through our city with my kids, every person we see on the street who's experiencing homelessness, who seems like they have nowhere to sleep tonight or no food to eat right now, every time one of my children says to me, Dad, why can't we give them something? Surely I am a goat. So I don't know. Who's a sheep and who's a goat? And I'm not sure I even know really how to tell who is and who isn't. But even the people in this parable don't seem to know. Look again at the responses of the sheep and the goats. Both groups say, Lord, when did we see you in need and meet that need? When did we see you in need and fail to meet that need? They don't know. And they didn't know when they had a chance to do something about it. And then as we come to the end of this passage, the end of this section of Jesus' teaching, the last of his teaching sections in Matthew, he's about to make his way to the cross after this. The last words of this passage reveal more that I don't know. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. I don't know what punishment and eternal life means in this passage because I don't know how to determine who's a sheep and who's a goat and how that is functioning in this parable. I don't know how to interpret these last words about punishment and eternal life. But I know who the judge is. I know that throughout Matthew's gospel, the 15 or so times that this title, Son of Man, is used, it refers to Jesus. And it's most often Jesus referring to himself. I know who the judge is. It's Jesus. So the judge in Matthew 25 is the same who said, blessed are the poor in spirit those who mourn, 
the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. The same Jesus told us not to worry what we will eat or drink in Matthew 6 or what you will say when you're brought before the earthly judges in Matthew 10. The judge in Matthew 25 is the same who said, get up and walk and your sins are forgiven. The same Jesus gave sight to the blind, cleansed the leper, made the deaf hear and raised the dead. The judge in Matthew 25 has already shown what it is to see someone in need and meet that need. He practiced what he preached before he even preached it. I know this is who the judge is. And we can take some comfort in that. Sometimes we need a judge In the year 2023, in a pluralistic society like the one we live in, there are few adjectives less admirable than judgy or judgmental. We do not appreciate anyone who asserts themselves as judge over our lives or anyone else's. But perhaps, turning to the, the biblical language and imagery of judging can help us see this from another angle. See, the word for judge in the New Testament has the basic meaning of dividing or separating. And so, as Jesus teaches through these parables of last judgment in Matthew 24 and in Matthew 25, it's with images like separating, dividing wheat from weeds, or dividing sheep from goats. And the image of shepherd and judge being held together has a long history in the Bible. Look at Ezekiel 34 and Psalm 96. In Ezekiel 34, the prophet says, uh, the, the Lord says through the prophet, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. And then Psalm 96, let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people's in faithfulness. Judgment, as theologian Anna Case Winters puts it, is always ordered toward redemption. Judgment means rescue and healing, restoration and rejoicing, and it means sifting and destruction, fire and death but all ordered, pointing toward redemption. And 
friends, when I look around at the world around us, when I look into history, even the history of the church, or when I look into myself, I find that I want this kind of judgment. I long for this kind of judgment. We need a Jesus who is coming to judge. Because when I get up day after day, and my email and my news feed is filled with civilian deaths in Israel, and civilian deaths in Gaza, and confusion about the justice of military tactics, and questions of whether a ceasefire will hold, we need a judge who will separate out the violence and justifications of war in this world and proclaim what belongs to death and what belongs to life because Jesus' kingdom is one of life. When I think of the lynchings of black men and women in the U.S., or when I think of the residential schools inflicted upon indigenous peoples here in Canada, when I think of the massacre of six million Jews in World War II, or the 20th century genocides in Cambodia or Rwanda, when I think of the devastation wrought in our natural world by our greedy and broken industries, or when I think of the root of violence that grows in me, threatens to rear its ugly head every time I am angry or resentful or hateful. We need a judge who will separate out all that is hatred and racism and supremacy and greed and rage and burn them up for Jesus' kingdom is one of life. The shadows in our own hearts and minds, the masks that we hide behind to protect ourselves from the world or to protect the world from ourselves, we find, at least I've found, we've worn these masks so long it's impossible for us to separate the truth from the mask. But thanks be to God, there is one who is coming to judge. One who will separate out our self-deceptions and burn them up so that what is left is what is held in Christ. I know who the judge is. But this cannot be just a rational knowledge, a grasping of facts. It is a small comfort to know that the judge is Jesus, and Jesus is who he has always been, no matter what we know or don't know. But more than a rational knowledge, this must be relational. 
Because better even than knowing who the judge is, is knowing the judge. While it's good to know that the judge is the same who spoke the Beatitudes and healed the multitudes, it is better still to know personally the one who comforts and fills and shows mercy and heals and raises and judges. See, judgment need not be comfortless. Yes, it is painful, but it need not be comfortless. It is painful to have greed and lust and violence and the autonomy we so desperately cling to burned up. But what is left is what is united with Christ. What is left is what truly knows him. We don't just know who the judge is. We know the judge. And in a world where there is so much we don't know, knowing the judge makes all the difference. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way your spirit speaks to us even now. And we pray you would give us open ears and open hearts. We pray that we would feel the comfort of your coming judgment. In the name of Jesus, amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.